Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning as we continue our series, this leading up to next week, to Palm Sunday, and then Good Friday, and then Easter Sunday, kind of the climactic week of the Christian calendar, as it were. This morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. They're words written for you and written for me. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the, of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, friends, I am happy to report that spring training is well underway, and the first regular season home game for the Texas Rangers is only two weeks away and I had the privilege of touring Globe Life Park the brand new facility for the Texas Rangers in the fall um, paid for a tour it is amazing that retractable roof is truly a marvel um, and I can't wait to go see a game there and with the advent of spring with the advent of spring training comes the re-airing of your favorite baseball movie and mine, Field of Dreams. Who doesn't love that movie? Um, of course, you know the plot. Ray Kinsella and his wife, Annie, decide to leave the city. They decide to leave city life to buy a corn farm in Iowa, her home state. And Ray, you know, he seems to be just a regular guy whose life isn't quite living up to his expectations until the day when out in the fields, he hears a voice that utters the now iconic statement, you know it, 
If you build it, what? He will come. So you all know it. Ray thinks that by building a baseball diamond in his cornfield, that he can bring back his father's hero. Who is that? Shoeless Joe Jackson, the disgraced player who was accused of throwing the 1919 World Series, okay? Unfortunately, building the field, what did it do? It bankrupted Ray and Annie, and they are suddenly on the verge of losing their home. It's, it's, it's a crisis. On the brink of foreclosure, however, Ray's field finally receives its first visitor. Emerging from the corn like a specter, Shoeless Joe Jackson actually appears. He talks about his wasted life after being kicked out of baseball. He talks about his pure love for the game. He talks about how nothing in life ever came close to those hours he spent on the field. The story finally climaxes when Ray, who risked everything, bankruptcy, losing the farm, he risked everything to build the field, he wasn't invited to join Shoeless Joe out in the cornfield, which symbolized, I think, in the context of the movie, like a, a kind of heaven, if you will. Well, in response, Ray explodes in frustration, yelling out, I've done everything you have asked from me. What's in it for me? He had risked everything, and he wanted to know where his reward was. You know, and there comes a time when all of us wonder, after having made certain sacrifice, sacrifices, what's in it for me? What's my reward for doing all of this? Even Peter thought this. After having left everything to follow Jesus, even Peter, the leader among equals, asked to Jesus, or said to Jesus, basically, what's in it for me? That's the context of our passage today. We are just days away in the Gospel of Matthew from the triumphal entry, or Palm Sunday. When Jesus was approached by the rich young ruler who asked Jesus a very famous question, you know it, when he said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to what? To inherit or obtain eternal life. Okay? You know the story well. Jesus knowing his heart, Jesus knowing that he valued his wealth and his riches and his status more than anything else, more than God himself, okay, told him to leave everything and become his disciple and to follow me. Of course, that was a price the rich young ruler wasn't willing to pay. Now, what's fascinating about this? So this, this is the context to our passage in Matthew 20. Just verses before the parable that I just read, okay, Peter hears this conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. Do you remember what Peter asked? Peter did the math and he followed up with a question of his own. When he asked, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? In other words, what's in it for me? Okay, whereas the rich man, he wouldn't leave everything to follow you. But that's what we did. What's in it for us? Jesus responded in Matthew 19, verses 28 through 29. This is the context to our passage. Jesus responds, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake 
will receive a hundred times as much and, and will inherit eternal life. And so to reinforce this point, to reinforce his response to Peter, what's in it for me, okay, Jesus tells them a parable. The parable is in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Okay, let's look at the text. So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is addressing the merit-based mentality that was so pervasive in Judaism of the first century. I mean, they operated on a very strict works-based or merit-based understanding of their relationship with God, that I do certain things, I earn certain things, and God responds in certain ways. And so what Jesus is doing here and what he has been doing is he is blowing up that worldview. And that's really been the point of his ministry from the start, to disabuse them of this merit-based, this works-based, this performance-based mentality. This is one of the last things he was to ever teach before the end of his life. Look at verses 1 and 2. It's in your insert. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning. That would have been 6 a.m. Even though the text doesn't explicitly say that, we can infer that from the whole parable. This is 6 a.m. That's the beginning of the workday. The workday in first century Palestine would have gone from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., from sunrise to sunset. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So this is most likely a reference to the grape harvest that would have happened once a year. It would have occurred in September and would have involved the hiring of seasonal workers. They would have understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. And in their coinage, a denarius was considered a fair day's wage, a fair day's compensation for work. Verses 3 through 7. About the third hour, the third hour was 9 a.m. About the third hour, and by the way, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, I feel like it, 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 um, it reads a little easier than the ESV on this passage. About the third hour, that's 9 a.m., he, the owner, went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And so that's where these men, these seasonal workers, would gather. They would gather in the marketplace and they would wait for people to come and hire them for the day's work. That's, that's the way it went. When it says they were doing nothing, it doesn't mean that they were being irresponsible or lazy. It just means they had not gotten work yet. Verse 4, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Now notice the first person first group that was hired at 6 a.m., he said, I'll pay you a denarius. There was a contract. With this next worker, this next group, he doesn't say that. He says, I'll pay you whatever is right. Okay, and the workers agreed to trust in the character of the owner here. Verse 5, so they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., and he did the same thing meaning he hired them and he told them that he would pay them and compensate them, quote, whatever is right. 
verse 6. About the 11th hour, now that's 5 p.m. That's one hour before quitting time, just one hour left of daylight. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Verse 7, they clarify, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, what's the difference with the last group? He doesn't offer them a denarius. He doesn't agree to pay them what is right. He just says, come and work in my vineyard. And they knew that they were totally at his mercy. They only had an hour left to go, and they were happy to comply. Verses 8 and 9. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now, this would have been shocking to the original readers. Did you notice why? Here, out of nowhere, we are suddenly introduced to the foreman. Where has the foreman been? Why wasn't the foreman the one that went out to hire these successive series of workers? That was the, for the foreman's job. It would have been highly unusual for the owner to go out himself, and secondly, to pay the last workers first. Okay, the original reader would have been wondering to himself or herself, what in the world is going on here? Why is the owner doing this? Verses 9 through 12. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, again, that's the 5 p.m. group, came and each received a denarius. And I'm sure their jaws hit the floor. So when those who were hired first, and we think that includes all of the groups that were hired prior to the 5 p.m. group, so when those who so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Now this includes the group of people that were hired at nine and at noon and at three. Were they promised a denarius? In first century coinage, there were smaller denominations than a denarius. And so the 9 a.m. group and the noon group and the 3 p.m. group got more than anyone would have expected, given the amount of labor that they put in. But they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day, and before we're too hard on them, that is exactly the way that we would have felt. In fact, I just saw a viral video, maybe a week before last, perhaps you saw it if, you're, if you watch viral videos. Um, not even sure how it came up on my feed, but there was a huge brawl at a bath and body store somewhere Apparently, someone had the audacity to cut in line to buy some soap, and it caused a huge fracas, okay? Um, people do not like their sense of fairness being violated, okay? Um, it would, I was just talking this morning. It would be like 
going down to Fair Park and being made to wait all day long for your vaccination, finally getting it at the end of the day, and then they have some left over and some dude just pulls up in his luxury car and gets a shot, you know what I mean? And you're thinking, that is not fair. This guy would be able to do this. Um, we get why they felt that way. Picking grapes in the heat of the day, I'm sure the Hansons can tell us all about this kind of thing, given their connection to vineyards. Um, it would have been very difficult work in the first century. It would have been incredibly hot. It would have all involved getting cuts and, and scrapes and getting you know, bit by insects. It would have been difficult work, much tougher than standing in line. And these workers were upset. They were mad. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. But the owner answered them, friend. Now, I think that, that word for friend, it's not the typical word for friend. It implies distance, okay? Like friend, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not really like we're not really chummy right now. He's like, you're pushing it. He answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, it's my prerogative to bless all of you the same, to treat you all equally in terms of what I pay. Again, this is addressing the merit-based approach to life that was so dominant in first century Judaism and I would say is alive and well today in our own culture. Peter no doubt resonated with the complaint of all the people who were hired previous to the 5 p.m. group. I'm sure he's like saying to himself, they deserved more. But of course the landowner, he paid exactly what he promised. There was no injustice, not one sense of injustice. But what was there? There was grace and there was mercy and loving kindness on the part of the owner. What was the flaw in their thinking? And it's the flaw in our thinking. The flaw in the thinking of those who were hired first and by extension, Peter's thinking and the thinking of the disciples and our thinking was their failure to see that everyone, including those who were hired at 6 a.m., were all the recipients of the grace and the mercy and the care of the owner. What kind of workers were these? These were seasonal workers and therefore entirely at the mercy of the landowner to hire them. He didn't have to go to this marketplace. He could have gone to another marketplace. He could have hired other workers. He didn't have to hire any of them at all. The fact that any of them had a job was because of the grace of the landowner. But a question for you. How do you think the men responded who were hired at 5 p.m.? How do you think they responded when they got an entire day's pay for an hour of work? 
You see, the welfare of their families was on the line. That's why they waited till 5 p.m. Okay, it was a desperate situation. And for them to get an entire day's wage for working only one hour would have been mind-blowing to them. Also, let's come back to the sudden appearance of the foreman. Okay, why was he such a late addition to the story? The foreman was a late addition to the story to highlight the uniqueness, the graciousness, the mercy of the owner. Because this kind of thing wouldn't have been done. Normally, as I said, it was the job of the foreman to do this. But in the parable, it's the landowner himself. And all the more given how many trips he made to the marketplace. Okay, I mean, think about this. So, so commentators speculate, why did he go out so many times to hire workers? Was he incompetent? I mean, wouldn't he have known at the beginning of the day if he was a competent landowner how many workers he would need? He would have been an expert on exactly where things were and how many people he would have needed. Some people um, speculate that, um, that he went out to hire workers later in the day so that the workers would be fresh. Others speculated, well, he didn't want to hire too many or more than he needed. That would have been too expensive. Um, none of those things are the reason. If he was worried about the money, he wouldn't have paid all the latecomers a denarius. There were smaller denominations of, of currency. Okay? He did it because he was compassionate and gracious. Okay? He suspected that not all of them had been hired. So he goes out at 6 a.m., Okay, he doesn't hire all of them. He's hopeful that the rest of them will get hired. But he's concerned, so he goes out at 9 a.m. He hires more. He goes out at noon. He hires more. He goes out at 3 p.m. He hires more. He goes out at 5 p.m. and hires more. He doesn't outsource it to his foreman. He bears the cost personally. All of the labor, all of the difficulty, all of the expense... He personally bears himself. And friends, that's the point. That's the gospel of God's grace. There wasn't a worker in that field that deserved to get there. And everything they received was a function of the graciousness and mercy of God. Verses 28 and 29 of Matthew 19, the section just prior to this, Jesus said to them, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and eternal life. In other words, the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ are disproportionate to what people give up to follow Jesus. Incredibly disproportionate. He says you'll receive a hundred times as much. What kind of investment pays a hundred times as much? And, he says, eternal life. So my friends, 
Where do you see yourself in the story? Which worker are you? The sooner we realize that we were the 11th hour worker who received more than he could have ever asked or imagined, the more grateful and thankful and humble we will be. What's in it for me at the end of the day? Life eternal. Life with Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, beloved. That's what's in it for me. And that's what's in it for you. And that is a far more glorious thing than we could ever, ever, ever imagine. All by grace. Pray with me, our gracious God and Father. We are amazed. We are amazed, Father. There's a big difference between um, who we see ourselves as in the story and who we actually are in the story. If I'm honest, I am just like that first worker who thinks that he deserves um, so much for, for the sacrifices that have been made when at the end of the day I am the 11th hour worker who was hired only because of the grace and the mercy and the personal expense and cost of the landowner, who is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to see that we are that man, that 11th hour man, who was brought into the vineyard by the grace and mercy of the landowner. Father, help us to be a grateful people, a thankful people, and a humble people. Help us to be a people that more and more live according to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. In his matchless name we pray. Amen.